0: Leonard here, and I know we all have a couple daily lists. You know what they are, the have-to-do list and the choose-to-do list. To make my daily choose-to-do list, you have to be special, and Papa's Roast Coffee is truly that special. That's why Papa's Roast Coffee is a regular choice of mine and so many others. Papa's Roast owners, Dean and Debbie Chris, take special care to provide a perfect roast on every bean. Sourced from a single origin, the coffee beans are roasted to perfection in small batches. And then, if that were not enough, the beans are packaged and shipped in an eco-friendly bag. Papa's Roast Coffee, from start to finish, has earned a place on my everyday choose-to-do list. And I think they will on yours, too. Get your Papa's Roast Coffee at papasroast.com today. Now, to our conversation. Welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee, and I've got a returning guest who is a friend of mine that I just love dearly. Uh, I'm happy to pray for him. I'm happy to partner with him in ministry. Patrick Lightfoot, welcome back to Say Yes and Become. I am so excited you're here. Hey, good
1: morning, Leonard. It is good to be back with you. Uh, Thank you for the invite. I feel like one of these uh, guys on those uh, shows, uh, night shows, uh, they get the return uh, invite. So I'm honored.
0: Well, as long as nobody starts going, Jerry, Jerry, we're going to do a good show today. <laughs>
1: I was say more like Jimmy Fallon, Johnny Carson, one of those. Oh, but there we go. Like the Jerry ones.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so we're, before we get into any real conversations, or maybe this is the real conversation, you sent me a picture uh, uh, a couple days ago of, okay. of brisket. Yes. Smoked. Talk to me about brisket being
1: smoked. It was my first one, and of course, uh, how my wife typically is, she gives me no slack. She says, I want you to smoke a brisket for Easter, so the Super Bowl of all Sundays with guests, and it's <laughs> kind of neat I've never smoked before. And I thought, well, can I just start with like smoking a hot dog? And she says, nope, brisket. So my brother, uh, he's a big smoker, so I called him, got his little recipe. So um, just salt and, salt and pepper, heavy salt and pepper, coarse salt and pepper, uh, on both sides after you trim it. And then um, let it uh, let it set for a couple hours in the salt and pepper. And then on the smoker, 170 is what I did uh, for about eight hours, or right, 190 is what the temperature was. Yeah, 190 till the meat got to 170. Take it off, wrap it, uh, turn it up to 225. And then when it gets to 203 was his number. So I was like, not 200 or 205. He says, no, you pull it at 203 and then keep it in the foil and let it rest for a couple hours. So that's what I did. And it turned out really well.
0: Oh, man, I saw a picture of it. It looked like uh, I wanted to drive to Colorado right then and eat it. Uh, Of course, I've sent you a few photos of uh, some of the food that that I tend to cook and smoke around uh, around uh, here in Nashville. Yeah,
1: um... well, I, I appreciate those pictures a little bit. Most of the time I loathe them as I'm eating like peanut butter and jelly or leftovers. So it's always, uh, always fun when you send your pictures.
0: <laughs> I, I just did a brisket and here's, here's the thing about a brisket. It just kills me that you have to trim so much stuff off of it to get it ready. I feel like I, I bought an 18 pound brisket and I'm smoking a 13 pound brisket. And I got yeah. five pounds of fat sitting in a bowl. Um, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, that, do, now, do you ever render that stuff out? And, uh, I put mine in like a, a pressure cooker and turns it into tallow, which is uh, mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, you can make candles out of it, but usually that's what I use to uh, brush it before I wrap it. And it just keeps that beef flavor in there as well. And that's a- No,
1: I, I have a full-time job, Leonard, so I don't have time to do those kinds of things. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I've never done that. I've heard of people doing that. And it sounds awesome, especially that you can render it down and then brush it right back on top, which sounds yeah. amazing.
0: Well, note to self, get a full-time job. I know, um, get a job, you know. And then uh, the other thing that is fun is I always uh, I always uh, rub the brisket before I season it in yellow mustard. Um, or sometimes I'll use like a, a mayo, and then I sprinkle garlic powder on it and it just keeps all that seasoning on there throughout the whole cook so nothing falls off. Yeah. And and you never taste the mustard afterwards. Right. Yeah, it just kind of bakes or cooks out of there.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like a binder.
0: It really is. And and so, but I, I, um, I had a space in my freezer the other day and my son said, look, there's room for another brisket in there. And so we went and bought another one, put it in, get, you know, but I like smoking, uh, ribs and pork, uh, shoulders and all kinds of stuff. Lots of chicken.
1: Yeah. We like to smoke, uh, uh hamburger patties cause I can stack them in the racks and I can cook, I don't know, about a dozen at a time. And yeah, it's awesome. yeah. yeah. So I smoke fast and then we've got them for the whole week.
0: Yeah, I do that with sliders, and I smoke meatballs sometimes too. And then the other thing that I like to do is I like to make a stuffed burger, uh, mm. and that's two thin patties uh, that have kind of like a concave in the middle, so that. And then I put in like bacon and 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 onions that are sautéed and peppers and a little bit of cream cheese and and such. Uh, and then I press it down, so it makes like a big fat burger that is filled inside with all that. Mm. And I've got to tell you, man, it is such a good burger. Always comes out super juicy. Uh, we smoke like those. It. Yeah. So well, I, I like yeah. doing that stuff.
1: Yeah. When you said uh, two patties, I I thought it was like all two beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese on an English muffin with sesame seed. Do you
0: remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Uh, we used to always sing, who can say it the fastest? You know, that's an old youth group game uh, yeah. when I was doing youth ministries back in the 80s. Early '80s, so was that? Uh, That was
1: uh, McDonald's, wasn't it?
0: It was.
1: Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I don't know what made me think of that, but when you said I start with two beef patties, it just came right to mind.
0: Well, see, those things are entrenched in your in your mind that you've been brainwashed by McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and and then uh, let's see here. Um, Let's talk about fishing. Have you gone and done any fishing lately?
1: No, I haven't. It's April 17th right now. Uh, My license um, uh, in Colorado, I do a small game and fishing license combo. It always expires on March 31st. I always buy my new combo on April 1st. So I have done that, but I have not been able to get out. So I am Mm -hmm. hoping that is going to happen soon. The the lakes and ponds around here have finally uh, thawed out and there's no more ice on them. So uh, I've been seeing a, a handful of people hitting the local ponds and stuff. So it's time to get the kayaks out and get on the water. So I'm excited.
0: Nice. It's time to get cracking. I have actually only gone fishing once this year. And uh, I have an annual license that it's it, it expires on the day you bought it a year later. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, um, but I have not gone out. Uh, and then a couple, a few months ago, several months back now, I actually took a, an old rifle that I had and I traded it for a boat. Uh, and I got myself like a little flat John boat for uh, that I can stand in, um, and, uh, fish out of that. And I haven't taken it out yet either. Uh, send but,
1: me a picture of that. I didn't know you did that.
0: Yeah. I'll have to send you a photo of it next Is
1: it a one man John boat or can it's two people,
0: it's okay. two people, but, uh, you know, if it's like my last boat, I forget to put the plug in and it it starts to sink. And then I'm like,
1: dang it. Oh, I got to hurry
0: and get back to the shore. Row, come on. So, uh, you know, I I really, what's that they say? A boat is like a hole in the ground. You just throw your money in. Um, Yes. And and, uh, I've found that to be nearly true. Uh, So, well, hey, today on our podcast, my friend, we are uh, still say yes and become and we function out of the idea that the very best yes you can say is to God when he says, Mm -hmm. come be my friend. Just be close to me and then join me in what I'm doing. I have things I want done. And you as a pastor kind of have a unique seat to the things that God wants done and how he is working. Um, So let me just throw this question. It's kind of a big general one. Uh, In 2023, what's it like being a pastor? What I know for sure is that, uh, um, pastors, uh, across the country are, um, are resigning their churches. They're burning out. They're wearing out. Um, it's, there's gotta be some difficulty to it. So what is it like for you in 2023 to be a pastor?
1: No, I think it is a great question. I appreciate you acknowledging uh, the challenges that come with being a pastor. Uh, I think uh, especially coming out of COVID has amplified the challenges even more. Uh, I think the biggest one we're dealing with, I think, is apathy in the church. Just I don't this, care about that. It's Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I kind of, I liken it to a a multivitamin,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: Uh, people, we talk about, man, multivitamins are good for you. And I take one almost daily. Um, but I have some other medications that I have to take daily for certain health conditions that like insulin. So I have type one diabetes, so I cannot ever, ever miss insulin. But if I miss my multivitamin, it's not like earth shattering. And I think the church and the Western culture treats Jesus like a multivitamin. Mm. And what I mean by that is like, if I get my dose of it, oh, good for me. But if I don't, it's okay as well. And what what I tell people is like, what's most important is not the vitamin that we take. It's the water we take it with. And he's the living water. So I, I think how do we, the challenges we have is just for people to take their faith walk with Christ and the work of the church more serious than, um, you know, what they're doing on Sunday mornings uh, or during the week where there's no. Uh, no faith component to what they're doing. So I, I think apathy is the biggest challenges. And I think in all areas of faith matters.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let me uh, let me explore that a little bit because you just gave us one of those Jesus type statements. The kingdom of heaven is like a multivitamin, mm. uh, you know, and, uh, and I kind of, I'm hearing that. Um, and people have become apathetic. Tell me about... And not everyone. We know there's some people no, not everyone. And I'm not. Angry. Yeah, I'm, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but it, we we we're, we're in the trenches a lot of times trying to move people forward in their faith who don't necessarily uh, feel the need to move forward. They're pretty content where they're at. Yeah. Um, and so tell me what that's doing to pastor's souls, because uh, yeah. that's a tough thing.
1: Yeah, I think it's the urgency. I think um, many, most pastors... Have this urgency for for what's next uh in the spiritual walk of the people that they shepherd. Hmm. But the people that they shepherd these sheep, they don't sense or feel this urgency in, in themselves. Uh not in themselves, but also in the mission as well. And so I think that's another thing because we we desire it for them. It's like we want it more for them than they want it for themselves. Does that make sense, Leonard?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah.
1: and you're like, wh- and the other thing I think for pastors too is this at least in my mind is the thought of why are they not getting it or why are they not doing it or why are these other things taking up so much of their bandwidth that have no eternal rewards or consequences. Mm. And and yet it seems like this is like the most critical thing in their life. And I'm like, just take a step back and look at this. This is really not as big as a thing as you may think it is. I just feel like there's more pressing things that I want people to grasp uh, that are going to be uh, of more of more value long term and eternally uh, yeah. than maybe what they're working in or or, or putting their time and focus into.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, well said. I I feel that with you. I can see your face. Other people can't, uh, but I I can actually see on your face this this desire for better things. And it's not so much what you want from people. It's what you want for people.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, I and don't... the
1: thing is, it's like, it's right there in front of them. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, just grab it. Just take it by the, uh, take the bull by the horns. Right. That's all saying my dad would say, just, just it's right there. Just grab onto it. And uh, on Sunday, I was actually, I talked a, a little bit about stepping out of the natural into the supernatural. Mm-hmm. And we have this very natural way of, our Christian faith that we want it like easy and comfortable and convenient. And that's a that's an easy faith. And if you want to see the hand and the move of God, you've got to step into what I call the supernatural, taking risk, doing things that maybe don't make sense. You feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's when the Lord shows up and you get to see him move in your very midst. And uh when people taste that, oh man. That's when they're like, I'm in on this. I'm gonna keep just saying yes. I'm gonna take this next step, even when it, it doesn't make sense or it's weird, or our culture says no, don't do it that way. because uh, then it becomes not a man thing, it becomes a God thing. And yeah. I think that's when uh when people really see faith uh, move, action and 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 the work of the Lord, if they're just willing to take that next step.
0: Hmm. You know, there's a there's a, a great giant of the faith, his name's George Berber. And he founded Operation Mobilization, which has impacted literally millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of people, sent people all over the world. Um, he met Christ as a sophomore in high school because a woman who lived across the the street from the school began to pray for him mm-hmm. and uh, then bought him a Bible. And uh, in, the, in the three years left of his high school experience, about 200 of his friends met Christ. And mm-hmm. that launched him into missions. And I... And I think that the point of that that thought is just that I think so many times our people feel like expressions of faith have to be so grand that, uh, but they're actually really simple. It's just coming to God and talking to him. What do you want done today, Father? Yeah. And uh, for this woman, you know, and I was just, <clears throat> and I knew George and and I never met this woman, but I thought to myself, what an amazing reunion in heaven that was. Yeah. That uh, you know, maybe he runs up to Jesus and and Jesus says, Hey, eh, so good to see you, George. I'm glad you're here. Maybe God calls him Georgie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so good to see you. And he, by the way, have do you remember her? Mm-hmm. And that that moment, the glory of God shines in what he did through some people someone yep. who prayed somebody who went somebody who bought a bible somebody who took the time to recognize a need uh and i just think what well, what a what a grand thing that is and far too often our folks miss that um because there's so many other things that block the way yeah uh, and so um let me let me see if i can't add to this question um so you got this 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 Uh, not from not for everyone, but for some people, there's this uh, lack of uh, lack of priority of faith. And then you've got all these issues that come at the church at about a thousand miles an hour. Uh, We live in a culture that calls evil good and good evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our culture has shifted. It's radically different than it was even 20 years ago. Um, And now as a pastor, it doesn't feel like it feels sometimes like the things you have to deal with uh, have somebody just tripled your list. Uh, They didn't triple your pay. They didn't triple your hours. They didn't triple your energy. They just tripled the list of things you've got to work on.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, How do you choose personally? Here's what I'm going to focus on. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. uh, A very, I would say dogmatic in my calendar and schedule uh, for my own personal work that I am responsible for, uh, you know, as a pastor, things, life happens, right? And so Friday, this past Friday uh, is, uh, was my day off. Um, we've got a, a friend in our community who is, uh, uh, goes to another church. We were asked to uh, facilitate a prayer vigil on Friday night on my day off. And so uh, I just have to take it case by case, person by person, what, what, what do I need to say yes to? And what do I need to say no to? Uh, also on Friday, I got a call that was left on our our church line and my uh, uh, admin, she sent it to me. Uh, well, I didn't follow up on Friday because that's my day off. I'm gonna call this this lady back uh, because what's urgent in someone else's world doesn't mean it's emergency in my world. Mm-hmm. So um, I try to I try to navigate just some healthy boundaries. Uh, but there are times where he's like, no, I have to I have to do this, I have to step into it. Uh, so I really just kind of take it case by case. Uh, there's a good book by Dr. Henry cloud and the name of the book is called, uh, what to say yes to and how to say no. Mm. So it's a really good book just on boundaries and, uh, and those kinds of things. So, um, for me personally, it's like that, um, on how to just kind of navigate ministry. Cause it's, it's, it's like many jobs, you know, you've got your key important roles, responsibilities, but, um, we're dealing with people and uh, usually the things that we're dealing with is not, Hey, can you come to our birthday party pastor? You know, we like yeah. to hear those fun things, but most of the things that we hear are, th- are the difficult things in people's lives. Uh, just this morning, uh, I got a text from a lady at our church. Her mom passed away. Mm-hmm. We've been praying for her mom for a while now and she's going to be flying back out to um, Oklahoma to go be with the family. So mm-hmm. uh, it just, it's nonstop for a pastor. And so just try to navigate uh of all those things that are dealing with the sheep, which sheep need them, the critical care.
0: Right. Right.
1: So, so yeah, it's a challenge on how to, how to navigate that sometimes.
0: Well, I think the, you know, you mentioned Henry Cloud and he has been instrumental in so many things that he has said uh, for me and learning to say, no, set some good boundaries, but also just to take care of myself, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, recognizing that if I don't, if I don't pace myself, uh, I'm out, I'm out of the game. Yeah. Um, Chuck Swindoll used to say he had a man come to his church who said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. And, uh, Chuck Swindoll said, what's the difference? You're still out. Yeah. And, uh, I don't want to be out. I want to run this race until I'm done, uh, until I finish. And so, um, I can appreciate, uh, that. I can appreciate the, the phone calls and the decisions. Um, Uh, for me, I set a a list of things that that I had to say yes to first. And my first layer uh, passed passed my my faith, my own personal walk with Christ and my family. Mm -hmm. My next layer had to do with the things that I have to do in order for other people to do what they do. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: You know, because as a lead pastor, um, I didn't want anybody waiting on me uh, because I didn't want to come back in later and try to make decisions that overwrote what somebody else did. Um, And so that was always a big deal. Uh, And so, and I've seen that in you actually, and the way that you kind of principle out your time and your schedule. Uh, We've talked about that before. Yeah, Um, And Linda
1: too, kind of, if I could just speak into that a little bit. So on my mirror, in my bathroom, I have five things that are like my priorities is uh, to love my wife, lead my kids, serve the church, not just the church that I'm at, but the church Um, make disciples who make disciples and then uh, my work in coaching church planters. So those are my five things. If it's outside of that realm, I really have to ask the question, do I need to say yes or no to that? Yeah. Uh, If it falls in any of those, it's like, yes. So when you, um, we uh, connected a couple of weeks ago about this Mm -hmm. podcast and you're like, Hey, I want you back on. And um, I'm like, well, that's about disciples making disciples like, Yes. Like that's a no brainer, man. I say yes to that stuff every time.
0: So, mm. well, so, yeah, I know was- I'm grateful and everyone else listening is too, but I love that. I, I I know that, um, you keep that list and that is, there's a lot of competition even in that list. Oh yeah. You know, to keep a balance. Uh, one of the guys that, um, uh, is going to be on our anniversary show. We talked about how do we build capacity and how do we grow our capacity? Cause, uh, Life has a way of taking it and sucking the marrow out of our bones. Yeah. How do we continue to stay uh, with a with a healthy capacity uh, that um, is, allows us to take on the emergency call when somebody is dying or when somebody's had an accident or when a marriage is falling apart? Um, pastors are uniquely called, and some other folks in, in our culture are too, teachers, I think, uh, first responders we're uniquely called into messes we did not create Mm. with an expectation that we'll fix it with the expectation we'll bring something to it. Um, And uh, uh, our capacity to step into those places uh, has to be uh, understood and known by the person stepping in. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise we offer people things we can't do. So You mentioned disciples making disciples, um, and I know that this is one of your one of your passions or your prime one of your primary passions for the church. Uh, and so, let me ask you this: Where did that passion come from for you? Disciple, and I'm going to say it this way: uh, Disciples who make disciples, whose disciples also make disciples. So you're talking about a generational movement mm-hmm. in the church where the people that you have discipled now have disciples, and their disciples also have disciples. Uh, where'd that passion come from?
1: Uh, it came from, uh, just a, a burden of the Lord. I, I don't think it was anything of my own, like desiring, uh, after kind of playing, doing church for a lot of years. Um, and just in my faith experience, I, I really, God was tugging on me. Like you're doing a lot of good things, bro. Like, but
0: does God call you bro?
1: Yeah. He calls me bro. He calls Sweet. me dude
0: dude bro sometimes he
1: calls me idiot um and then some other words that we may not be able to share here but yeah he's like (laughs) hey bro uh and he just kept tugging at me like i was like something's missing something's missing something's missing and um just started reading studying being around uh, more uh, church leaders that have this burden of disciple making and disciple making movements yeah and i just started reading it studying it and it just kept drawing me in. I'm like, this is it. You know, you read either books or studies or reports about, excuse me, disciple making movements uh, in other cultures outside of America. And you're like, wow, I I want this. Like, this is like fresh wind, fresh fire and not just the Western church and putting on really cool events for people to come and consume, but how do they like contribute and get in the game? And so that's been, I guess this burden that God's put on my heart. Yeah. Does the mm. church do, we, we need to put on events. Yeah. Uh, here's one that you like May 5th. We actually have a guy in our church his name is Justin. He is a, a, a competition smoker, pit smoker. Mm. And, uh, so on that Friday night, uh, he's going to be teaching a class, a two hour class, and we're going to have a big, uh, rib competition. Uh, the guys are getting together to do that. And those I things are it. great. It builds community, Uh, creates maybe some new uh, friendships, connections at church. And I believe the church needs to do that. Uh, But beyond that, that's kind of where I was at. I'm like, the church has become good at putting on events. Like we're good event planners, coordinators, and not very good at maybe disciple makers. And so how do we just take what the things that we're doing, how do we take it to that next level and step into that? So that's That's where this burden came from. I just Mm -hmm. felt like I'm not doing what I've been asked to by the Lord. The other thing I thought, like, okay, I stand before the Lord, and Patrick, did you do what I asked you to do? The one thing, I never asked you to be an event planter. I never asked you to be a church planter. Uh, I never asked you, you know, all these things, um, but did you make disciples that made disciples that made disciples? And I want to be able to stand confidently before the Lord and said, yes, sir, I did.
0: I did. Yeah.
1: And I'm not there yet. I'm still trying to get it figured out, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep working at it and navigating it. Um, uh, because the, the culture we live in, they, um, and the decades of the church and all its goodness, we just have gotten so far from that, um, that, uh, it's going to take some, some time, uh, which of course we don't have a lot of time. Right. And then I'm impatient on top of <laughs> it. So I get frustrated <laughs> easy.
0: Yeah, I I'm hearing you. I um, uh, and so when you're when you're making disciples, who make disciples, whose disciples also make disciples, you got generations, and now the people in your church all have generations. Uh, it just goes super simple and easy like that, doesn't it? You just say, "Hey, I'm going to preach a message on disciple making. I'm going to start a group, and now we're going to go do it. It's that simple, right?"
1: Oh, it's that simple. It's simple. easy recipe and it just spreads like wildfire and we've taken over <laughs> our church and community. And yes,
0: the world is now cool. different. <laughs> yeah.
1: I wish, man, I wish, uh, as much joy as I'm finding in it. I think on the other side, there's a lot of frustration with it too. Yeah. Um, I just finished up in the last, uh, two and a half, three years. I've walked, discipled, uh, five different men and, uh, Of those five, I've got one that's actively seeking to start making disciples on his own. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other four, I still have a great relationship with. Uh, uh, I've got one that has actually moved to Iowa. His wife and daughter are still here. He took a job uh, just for a season. And uh, he um, he has been sending me more questions on scripture he's reading on his own that he Mm -hmm. used to never do. So I can see this seed has been planted. I'm just waiting for it to take root. For him to step yeah. in to actively start making disciples instead of growing himself. How does he help others grow? And so yeah. I think that's my frustration. Is is that point? I I believe the church actively really wants to know more about Jesus. I do. I think there's a, a real desire, uh, but I think it's I think there's fear in those who are Christ followers to say I. I have what it takes to go disciple someone else. They just don't think they have it in them. They don't think they're equipped. They don't think they know enough. I'm not as smart as the pastor. All these things we can um, give good justifications of why I'm not doing it. Uh, They just need to step into it. And so that's, I guess, my frustration. And how do I help them say, man, you can do this. Just get in the game. Let's just start it. Like, I'll give you the tools. If I don't have these tools, I'll find the ones you need. Like, you just let me know. Yeah.
0: I I think there's a role in that um, because I've seen I've seen you be working at this. We've journeyed some of this together uh, as friends and partners in ministry. And um, there is a level of training that we lack in the church. Mm -hmm. We we teach, we point, uh, we even model. And there's a level of there's there's a certain amount of training in modeling, um, but there's no substitute for just training. Uh Um, I can watch somebody fly fish all day long, but until I sit with somebody who knows how Uh and really get, you know, get some lessons. Uh, I was in uh, Montana fly fishing and uh, the guide was a great guy, but mend your line. Okay, do this, whatever it is, but he never really gave me lessons. And then uh, I was in Reading uh, fly fishing with one of my board members and that guide actually you know gave me lessons and i learned more in one afternoon with him than i did in three days in a boat with a with a amateur guide uh, because of training and i think there's a um, there's a lot of us as pastors who know the right thing to do but we don't know how to get people there yeah we we try we plead with them we we might even institute a little bit of uh guilt or shame or passion or even victory, whatever it is that motivates. Um, but we're just not sure how to get people from, uh, being a Sunday morning lover of Jesus to a activated disciple maker who's building the kingdom of God generationally.
1: Yeah. I do a a quarterly training and, um, for our disciple making process Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's, I'm having a hard time getting people to come to it. Yeah. I mean, that's been a challenge. And so uh, of course I'm always planting seeds like yesterday. And in my message, I talked about second Timothy two, two, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and I'll keep dropping those seeds uh, and and my messages where I can and uh, those types of things. But uh, that's another frustration. I'm like, well, what night of the week works best for you guys? Like, just tell me when your calendar's open. I'll host it that night. I'll do the training. uh, So Uh, I think that's, you know, uh, I I love how you frame that up. You know, we, if you're going to do a mission in the military of any kind, any of our branches, uh, they've got a mission. They do a lot of training for for that mission. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, hours upon hours. If uh, we've got one of our elders is uh, at our church is a police officer Mm -hmm. and the amount of training that they do over and over and over and over from just simply the training of how do you execute Uh, a pit maneuver where you're gonna someone's fleeing from you and how do you spin their car around yeah that's not a one-time train they like have a whole weekend of like driving weekend it is pit training Um, what are the do's and don'ts in that and so uh, I think there is definitely a lack of training I just don't know how to get people to come to the training so if you've got any ideas I'll I'll bribe I'll shame I'll guilt whatever I'm I'll do uh, maybe it's candy Starbucks gift it's card. It's two words,
0: brisket.
1: Brisket, there it is. Okay, <laughs> that is
0: brisket. Tell, tell everybody, hey, you're coming for brisket, and then make them train for their food.
1: <laughs> there so we go.
0: When they get it right, it'll be like that seal that you throw a fish to, you know. Okay, um, but if
1: they get the training wrong, I'll feed them hot dogs. So there you I'll go. There. like this is a pass or fail kind of deal, guys. Gals. That's right.
0: That's right. <laughs> I think. I think. um, the process is difficult, you know. It's it's funny because you can go to an event at a church and say, "Hey, we're going to do a worship night," and you get a ton of people coming. You were going to do a, a prayer night, and fewer people will come. But prayer. some people really love to pray. You can say, "We're going to do a game night or family night," and people will show up. Uh, we're going to do a event. We're going to invite the community in, and they're going to mm-hmm. walk around our cars, and we're going to hand them candy, and people show up. Uh, hey, we're gonna do that one thing that Jesus told us to do. We're gonna learn to make disciples who make disciples. And you know, in a church of a few hundred, a few show up, what? and one of them who shows up is going, I'm here because my wife told me I should come. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> and and so there's a there's a big drop off in uh uh-huh. in actually living it out. And sometimes I wonder if that's the uh uh if that's just the, the battle of our culture these days, yeah. Know, um, my friends who pastor in Southern California tell me all the time, uh, we have had to play with our, our service times more than we ever thought we would, because if, if, if the weather's good and the surf is up, we got a whole bunch of people who ain't coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just so much competition out there. So yeah. When you're thinking about disciple making and we, you know, we know training is essential and maybe someday we can come back and have a conversation about how to train people and what does that look like? Um, The number one lament I hear of pastors are probably the right at the top one or two uh, when it comes to their job is that um, they just can't get their people to reproduce. Mm hmm. You know, they just can't get them to go from I am a disciple to I'm a disciple who makes a disciple. Mm -hmm. And and I think maybe there's a breakdown of what we understand a disciple is somewhere in there. And so we've started with the uh, I need you to go out and make a disciple rather than I need you to know what a disciple actually is, because the going is implied in the disciple itself. Yeah. Um, You know, and. And I also think, too, that uh, there are some real, our our culture is so divided and torn. And um, what I've seen happen uh, in the church, and maybe you you have a different take on this, is I've seen anger rise. I've seen fear rise at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've seen the confidence that people have in the church in jesus in the values that god presents to humanity uh, in the word of god and in the work of god i've just seen that confidence plummet Uh Uh, it's just dropping faster and faster and so it's almost changed our our job as pastors yeah um do you see any of those things at all or what are you seeing
1: yeah i mean think about it. 50 years ago if someone had any kind of problem or issue the first thing they do is run to the church
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now if they have a problem the, the last place that they'll run is to the church
0: yeah yeah
1: in 50 years like that is yeah i mean think about it and uh anytime i go over um in other countries there's always a church on the square yeah in the center like and the church is no longer in the center of our american towns anymore where are they at they're on the outskirts of town yeah yeah yeah. yeah, because we have to make room for the restaurant to build a tax base in our community. Because the money is what we need in our community, not the church, right?
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> and and I get it. Having a tax base and uh, doing the things to keep our roads paved and uh, keeping um, our public funds available for our public schools is needed. I, I I'm all for that, but. Uh, I, I see the same exact things. And uh, and I think it's something that you said earlier in the podcast is, I think it's the view of who God is and who man is, is the big mm, issue. A yeah. um, culture believes that God is bad and man is good. And yet it, it is just the opposite. Uh, yeah. Man is bad and God is good. Uh, he is not sitting on his cloud with his Uh, lightning bolt finger ready to zap you like you're he's in a bug zapper, right? Or we're in a bug zapper. And it's just the opposite. And so I feel like that's one of the most important works of the church is to talk about the goodness of who God is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and to your point, the two words that you use about being friend and partner with Jesus, you know, like those are words we need to share. I mean, I love King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, the first, the last. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can sit here and list those names. All forwards and backwards, all hundreds of them, right, in Scripture. But I think if we just start zeroing in on some of those types of words, uh, because I believe more than anything else, people, they come to church not for Jesus at first. They come because they want to be known and they want a friend. I believe that.
0: Yeah. I just really do.
1: Um, We were talking, I don't know if we were recording yet, but just talking about uh, people come to churches and if they feel like they're not welcomed or they don't like it in three minutes, they're done, right? Yeah. I was like, well, you hadn't even heard the sermon about Jesus yet. And they've already made a decision, right? And so I think there's so much relational opportunity and how do we maybe leverage those relations, uh, relationships and the church better is going to help us move the needle back to, um, a dependence and a, and a trust in God that we haven't had maybe in decades in our culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, let, let me throw a question to you. It's not on the list of questions I sent you, um,
1: I didn't read those questions anyway.
0: That's all right. They weren't that good. A lot of typos. Um with uh are pastoring today, you coach pastors, uh you coach church planters. You're involved in several different networks of pastors. What are the what are the top 3 things that you think pastors are measuring right now in the church?
1: Yeah. Um well, I think it's always going to be the big 3 um, uh, you know, uh, your budget, Uh, baptisms, uh, butts in the seats, uh, however you want to frame those up. I think that's probably a lot of it. Uh, One of the things that we have been counting is uh, children Mm -hmm. attendance more than adult. We, we have this burden to grab these kids earlier and earlier because if we don't then um, these extracurricular activities are going to become their church. Mm. so yeah so here's something neat so we had our easter egg hunt on uh easter saturday and uh, it was awesome Uh, we purchased four acres we're developing uh hoping to break ground uh this fall Uh, but we put a 40 foot by 60 foot tent on it we had over four thousand balloons in the bottom of the tent leonard and then underneath all those balloons we had the eggs hidden and then we sent the kids in in different groups and one of the things we wanted to do is not just provide an easter egg hunt Uh, with a whole bunch of crafts and different things, but we had actually had 13 stations where they could walk uh, on the property and read about the Easter story. So we encourage families to do that. Um, And then we also had, um, if they filled out uh, some information, uh, it was a voucher for a Bible and we were able to put 13 Bibles into the hands of families and kids Hmm. that may not ever had that opportunity. So for us counting the Bibles we give away is important for us. That's one of the things we love to count is like, okay, how many Bibles did we give out today? So uh, just trying to measure things that are more important. Uh, Yes, do we measure attendance? Yes, do we measure baptisms? Yes, do we measure our budget? Yes, we do. But how do we maybe, I think there's some things in a top 10 list. Those aren't the top three. I think there's some other things that we need to to be counting uh, as church leaders. And I think a lot of church leaders are moving towards that. As you look at you know whatever you want to call it your dashboard your pulse what's the thermostat <laughs> of the church you know the yeah. names for these things uh, and so uh, I think I think there's been at least more mindful of it I think in when maybe things get tight maybe attendance is not what it needs to be or maybe giving's down we really start looking back at those measures instead of maybe how many Bibles did we put in the hands of people this week so
0: I know. man I love I love that uh, I love I saw the tent. In one of the pictures, but I love the idea of uh, people walking in and experiencing the, the incredible story of Jesus's rescue. Uh, and then also being able to say, here's a Bible. Here's something that will help me know that story better and have it fit into my life. I think um, uh, I was in Cuba in uh, September and I, I asked pastors, what do they measure? Because I saw in the front of a church that board, you know, that used to be in churches, uh, Sunday school attendance, uh, uh, weekly offering Sunday morning attendance, Sunday evening attendance, Wednesday night attendance. And it had numbers. It's like a little board. So the church can look and go, Oh, look, we had, you know, 120 people on Sunday morning and our weekly offering was $4,221. And we had one of those in every church I grew up in. Um, right, and, uh, And so I asked the pastors, what would change in your church if you said, I'm going to measure first and foremost, uh, the number of disciples I have? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Jesus seemed to do that because he had the three, he had the 12, he had the 70, and he had the 120.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And those are the numbers that are primary in the ministry of Jesus. Those three guys who he called forward to pray with him and they kept falling asleep, who he called into a room where he raised a girl from the dead, who he called to a mountain where Jesus was, uh, got shiny with him. Uh, You know, all those things, he measured the three, he measured the 12, he measured the uh, 70 uh, that he sent out. And then he measured the 120 that he had trained and equipped. Right. And so when he left this earth, he had 120 uh, pretty well trained disciples
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, who were ready to make disciples and the next the next day 3,000 people meet Christ and yeah. they begin to invest in them and and train them um I uh, I think uh, that is a huge huge uh, um, measuring piece and so I asked the pastors uh, if you were going to measure only those numbers, what would they turn out to be? uh would you would you say well I've got my three and I've got my dozen and I've got my 70 and I've got my you know 120 um and the majority of pastors in Cuba said all those are zeros hmm. for them wow. and and I'm not picking on them I'm just saying that the reason might be because that's not what they've been taught to measure right you know we've been taught to measure the number of people. Uh, the number one question I was asked as a church planner and as a pastor, uh, how big is your church?
1: Always anytime, especially when you go to pastor gatherings. First yes. question. How big is your church?
0: We we had a guy who was seven feet tall in our church. And so uh every time I'd answer the question, i say, well, we got one guy who's seven feet tall. Um, uh, but we he doesn't play basketball, so you're okay. Uh if we start a church league. Um yeah. you know, he'd be like, uh, okay, I, I realized I realized how I started our relationship with a number question um so in our world today patrick we we have these struggles of faith with people that and they're trying to figure out how am i supposed to feel about about uh uh the the um issues of of sexuality of identity of politics of abortion and all these are important issues i'm not i'm not downplaying any of them um but we have people who are more passionate about those than the eternity of those they fight with. Yeah. And that seems to have been an effective tactic of the enemy um, to get us uh, focusing, you know, on the wrong thing, to get us focusing on something that's important, but not as important. And, and creating agreement over an issue of biblical morality or biblical truth uh and so we align ourselves with people who agree we divide from people who don't mm-hmm. um and i just keep thinking man we're missing something uh like you said uh, god just kept poking at you going hey hey bro something is missing mm-hmm. and you knew it you knew it yeah. um you know well, me man, uh, let me and, speak into
1: that for a second i think yeah. satan one of his greatest um tools is for the, against the church is just distraction mm. And a lot of times it's something that's amoral. It's not even sinful, yeah. like what you're talking about. It, but if he's distracting us from keeping us off mission, then he's winning. So, yeah. and so, and like you said, it's a lot of times it's good things. Yeah. Like us standing up for the rights um, against abortion, that's a good thing. Is it the best thing? the greater thing? No, but it is a good thing. And we need voices in our community. We need voices at our churches. We need voices um, in our local legislation and at state, local, federal, all those levels about those topics, uh, about the topics of gender identity, uh, about uh, God's plan and design for uh, marriage between a man and a woman. Yes, we need all those things. Yeah. Uh, but when it becomes someone's sole passion and live and eat and breathe that, I believe they're being distracted from the greater
0: things I would agree with that and I you know I, t- I, I spoke about this with a friend um the church that we see in the us and the Western Church, but the the u s church is is the byproduct of the Reformation movement and so we're theologically uh wired and the- you got to get your theology right because the Reformation was about shifting to a more accurate theology and we all benefit from that. Yeah. um and then uh the Puritan movement which came out of the late 1600s early 1700s <clears throat> was actually instrumental in shaping uh how we wrote our Constitution and how we understood uh you know inalienable rights to by God given to us uh how we understood self-governance morality and so on and so on um and uh, the Puritan movement uh Liberty was a big deal for them and mm-hmm. so that Puritan movement uh, really became the moral voice for our culture. So we have a theological voice, and now we have a moral voice. And then the Pentecostal movement pops up in the 1906, uh, and with threads here and there, but primarily in in 1906 at the Zusa Street. And now we have an experiential movement,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, none of those are missional, or the mission for each of those takes on that you have. My mission is that you believe all the right things, or that you behave all the right ways, or that you get all the feels uh, that can be gotten out of whatever it is we're doing. And I'm for experiences with God, I'm for morality, and I'm for sound doctrine. Um, But the church has seemed to become unattached to its mission, which Mm -hmm. is to make disciples who make disciples whose disciples make disciples for the glory of God. Uh, That is the mission of the church. And um, Jesus said, when we do that, that his presence is uniquely with us. It's his commitment to say, I will be with you always. Um, And I wonder if uh, sometimes we lack the power of God's presence or we're trying to recreate the presence of God through theology, morality, and experiences rather than through mission
1: mm-hmm.
0: And so those are things that I'm always questioning. So um let well, me ask with that, go ahead yeah,
1: worth that I just wanted to talk especially that last one experience. We live in a very I feel culture. I feel yeah. and um, you know our feelings they're real and they're true, uh, but they're not reliable. That's what I <laughs> tell people. They're just yeah. not. you know but what is reliable? God's word, it's reliable. It's unshakable, yeah. unmovable. And so um, I just, yeah, when someone says, well, I feel, I'm like, oh man, I don't even listen to this conversation. I feel it's like, okay, yeah. no, I, um, I saw, you know, on Sunday, um, of course it's the Sunday after Easter and uh, we're in this series of Nehemiah and talking about building blocks of doing something significant and, I, and our theme for the day was grit and how Nehemiah had grit to finish. A lot of times we start things, but we don't finish them. And uh, I told the church, I said, hey, we've had You know, several busy weeks leading up to Easter and everything we did for Holy Week and the Easter egg hunt and uh, awesome Easter services, and then we had our architect in for three days. And I said, I'll just let you know this message is probably not for you. It's for me. Uh, I'm tired, and I'm your pastor. I don't want to be here today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm leaving Friday. I'm going on a five day turkey hunt with my brother. So uh, this is my uh, my reward to myself coming up. And so I was like, I just want. So I needed an extra dose of of grit. Cause if, if I went on my feelings, I would have been like, mm, I'm not going today. I just don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, I, I gotta have an extra dose of grit. And yeah. it's not based on how I feel. This is, this is my calling that I'm, I'm going to be in the room. I'm going to do this with everything that I have and we're going to get at it today. And we did, man, we had a great Sunday and uh, yeah, just uh, this whole feeling culture we live in, uh, I can get annoyed by it some, So I just wanted to share that. Uh, There seems like a lot of that in our culture today.
0: I think you're 100% on that. And I also noticed that um, almost every time somebody tells me they think, what they're really saying is I feel. Yeah. Um, Because we've combined those two actions to really mean feel. And so somebody says, well, here's my statistics and here's what I think. But they're only using that to express a feeling. They're not yeah. actually thinking something. They're feeling something. Um, let me shift gears just a tiny bit. Sure. Um, the values of our culture have shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in uh, in California, and he said to me, it's, it kind of haunts me, because he said, Leonard, I'm deeply concerned about the character of mm-hmm. Christianity. And uh, he was talking about the, the ethics and the values. And yeah. that it feels like Christianity's, uh, character has declined. Um, what do you think about that kind of a thought? And what, what are you personally uh, trying to say to your people and people around you uh, about our character as a Christian yeah. faith?
1: Well, our, our character should be given to us by Christ in what he's modeled, period. And so uh, we just need to lean into learning the character of who who God is from Genesis to Revelation, uh, everything about him. And yet we want to get our character I think based on what we just spoke about, how we feel about something in the moment. That drives our character instead of, okay, who is the character I have been called to reflect? If I am a Christ if I'm proclaiming Christ, I'm a Christian by title, uh, and I say that, then my my life should reflect that. It should be one of integrity. It should be one of honesty. Uh, It should be one of serving. Uh, that's another thing coming out of this COVID season is getting people serving again is like yes. teeth on a wild feral cat. That's the best way I can explain it. Yes. And so back in that line of thought, I think that's one of the things um, that trying to get people to do with uh, their character. I think character is more than words. I think it has a lot to do with their action really drives their character. I think serving is one of those things that can, help move the needle on the character of people when they're serving other people and just putting their needs uh, of other people before their own. So um, hopefully that kind of answers your question on, on character.
0: I think it does. You know, I, I was uh, teaching through um, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and I and I said, I was teaching to a group of pastors and leaders. And I asked them, I said, how many of you have taught this as, as the development of Christ's character in you that makes you a better human being? And every hand went up. And I said, uh, I said, here's, here's the missing ingredient to the teaching. Cause I've taught it that way before. I said, the missing ingredient yeah. to the teaching is this, is that this is actually how the Holy spirit prepares uh, who he wants to send into the world not just Mm. who he wants us to be as though it's some improvement of my own character. You know, you're not as loving. So I want to make you more loving. You're not as patient. So I want to make you more patient. He's actually saying, I want to transform you into a person who is love, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. uh, You know, these, these, these nine traits of Christ-like character, because I'm going to send that person into the world. There's nothing, Uh there's no law against that. There's nothing that can prohibit that. And so I think what we've done, again, that whole morality-based thought process is is we want to make you more moral. When Jesus said, I want to make you more fruitful and out of your fruitfulness Uh will come an adjustment of this character, this this who you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think we try to, we look through the lens of maybe like counseling or psychology that it's behavior modification first. Yeah. And that's, Character first, and when you are living out the fruit of the spirit and that love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, so all those things, then your behaviors will follow. It's really it's a heart issue first.
0: Yeah, yeah you know,
1: it and it's just like people are like, well, I need to get better before I come to Jesus. I'm like, well, that's mm-hmm. not how it works. <laughs> come to Jesus, and then, then He will change you. Yeah, it's not a you thing; it's a Him thing. So. Exactly. yeah it's how a, a interesting in the and God's design and plan and things how we everything is flipped over culturally we need to flip it back over uh, right. everything from the who God is to uh, it's not i need to change my behaviors no you need to change your heart first then your behaviors will follow and so uh, i think we just need to change the paradigm on a lot of things and how we look at them
0: i i would say that that's actually exactly what we need to do and i i just think we measure people <clears throat> by their success rather than by their character. Uh, uh-huh. We measure people by their um, uh, their status than by their character. And so, you know, every news outlet has this whole section dedicated to what do celebrities think? And <laughs> the honest truth is, is do I really need to know what somebody who has, you know, been married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, and that some total of their marriages last is five years out of the last 15 uh, The in between they've lived with five other people uh, they've given birth to, or uh, there's other person has given birth, you know, to uh, one celebrity, uh, Nick Cannon, he's got like a zillion kids and, you know, you're kind of going, is that a person that I need to inform my, my morality, my character. And yet we turn to them as though everything they do is the trend you know, look at the way they dress, you should dress like that. And, you know, it kind of goes to the idea of who do we follow? Um, yeah. You know, who, who are we actually following?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, and, and who you follow Leonard is who you become.
0: Exactly. It's exactly true. So yeah. Um, let me see if I can't uh, add another, another uh, thought to this um, and get your, get your feedback. Uh, when we, when we lack the character, And when I say character, I don't mean morality. I mean, actually, it's that grit, it's that internal, uh, you know, that person just has a lot of character because they do the right thing, uh, even against the odds. Psalm 15 says, uh, the man of God swears to his own hurt. He keeps Uh his word even when it costs him. He's the kind of person you trust. And when we have that, when we lack that character, something else goes away with it. And that's our confidence, Uh Um, what do you think the value of a confident faith is uh, for the people that you're serving? Um, How, how, how how's that valuable to them?
1: Yeah. The value of a confident faith is uh, it's, it's believable. I mean, when you see someone not just talk about faith, but they walk in it, that's when it's believable. Mm -hmm. You know, just like in parenting, I tell parents often, it's not what's taught. It's what's caught. Like you have to do it. Like, do do character things like let your yes be yes and your no be no Mm -hmm. if you tell someone i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be there if i'm gonna get you this resource i'm gonna get you this Mm -hmm. resource and that doesn't mean we don't forget and if you're acknowledged you forgot hey man i'm gonna stop what i'm doing i'm gonna get that to you right now i totally space that whatever it is right but let your yes be yes and your no be no and uh you know i as you're talking about this i was thinking in scripture especially uh, the passages in, um, in Titus and Timothy and in Peter, you know, uh, especially talking about, you know, the what the life of an elder should look like. And the one that just, man, gets me every time is to live a life above reproach.
0: Mm.
1: Man, that's big. Like that is. Wow. Um, so when we were going through the architectural design um, time last week, uh, one of the things we we're talking about with the chairs in the building, well, we have about 300 chairs. Uh, right now is a mobile church. And I told him, I said, Hey, we're just going to use those guys. Why we're going to spend money on chairs when we're going to sit them for, you know, an hour and 10 minutes. Like I can save us about 70, 80 grand probably right there. Right. Um, And you know, during the songs we're standing, so we're probably actually sitting for 30 minutes. Right. I mean, let's do that. Well, of course, then it came up and then uh, the architect was pulling like uh, the information from the town website and the planning department and apparently in large gatherings, the chairs have to be interlocked. And the reason is it's for uh fire code that way. let's say there was a fire or an emergency we had to exit it. And when they're interlocked together, there's a less chance that they're going to fall and like domino effect over this whole area, tripping people from exiting. And, uh, and I was like, are you serious? There's really a, like a code on that. And uh, so uh, I said, you know what, we'll just ask for, forgiveness and not permission on this and i kind of run my life on that premise sometimes oh we'll just ask for forgiveness and not permission right so uh and then caleb our associate pastor he says patrick we're the church and if we need to buy interlocking chairs that's what we're going to do and he called my feet on on the carpet on that i'm like dude Mm. thank you like you are so right bro like if we're supposed to lead an above reproach so if we have to have chairs that are interlocking I guess we're gonna buy chairs that are unlocking, and it's something as simple as chairs. And so I told Caleb after me, I was like, "Dude, thank you for doing that. I needed that." And I never even in the moment thought about character issue. I thought that's just a silly suggestion, not a like a hardline rule kind of deal. So mm-hmm. uh, even those who are, um, you know, I, I believe faithful and are men and women of character, we it needs to be checked by others too. So that was just a, a humbling moment I needed last week.
0: Oh, man, where's he working now then? (laughs) So, um, no, I I think that's actually a great picture of of the confidence that character brings, because how many times would we just let our boss go if we didn't have confidence? Mm -hmm. And and confidence doesn't mean that you're brutal. It means that you can state with gentleness what is true. Yeah. Uh, It means you can just say, hey, this is what the real thing is. And um, I see that in our in our culture, our church has lost confidence in the scriptures, confidence uh-huh. in the gospel, confidence in the truth of God. We've been told you can't know truth, confidence in our origin. Uh, I was working with a guy who said, Leonard, I love your five questions. Uh, where am I from? What's wrong with me? How do we fix it? Uh, what are the values by which I live and what happens when I die? He says, those are the great five questions, and I love the answers to four of them. And I said, mm-hmm. which, which one are you struggling with? And I, he says, well, that origin one that God made us. He said, I think the overwhelming evidence is for evolution. And I said, you would be mistaken, first of all. The, there is not overwhelming evidence for evolution. In fact, there's overwhelming evidence scientifically for creation and mm-hmm. and such. But you have not researched that yourself. And second of all, what you're telling me is that you're going to have confidence in God. When he talks about what broke you, that sin. When he talks about how to rescue you, that is uh, Christ. When he talks about how to live, that's the Holy Spirit and the word of God, except for that one part of the word of God you tell me. And confidence in your eternity, when in reality is the very way God started the book was to say, listen, you can have confidence in me because I made you. Mm-hmm. And there's a broken confidence in in christianity as a whole and i see this across the world um uh we just lack the ability to say with confidence uh-huh. this is this is what i believe this is true uh and we because we don't have that confidence we don't actually feel like we can make disciples uh we don't yeah. feel like we can engage somebody in a intellectual conversation um because uh, we're we're not used to being able to wait, it is true. It really uh-huh. is true. And it can be known. And so you read John, you read Paul, you read James, you read Peter, uh, you read the other uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke. And something that is repeated again and again as a theme is so that we will know, so that we have confidence, so that we can be confident of this thing about the love of God, the truth of God. You know, John, how many times does John say in his gospel as well as his letters, I write this so you will know so you you can have confidence mm. in it. And somehow, I just feel like a lot of our people in churches today lack that confidence. And so we come back to church every week for a confidence booster shot rather mm-hmm. than rather than finding ways to throughout the week, to live confidently and to say, well, I'm going to put this to the test. And it is true. Uh, I'm going to do the work it takes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think some of the lack of the confidence is the church is because the only place they're getting their confidence boost is on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like
1: they've got to feed themselves. You know, yes. you've got to feed yourself confidence. Right. I mean, and that's in in your spiritual disciplines, whatever those that you engage in, you know, we all engage in spiritual disciplines differently. Some resonate more, uh, with others than maybe some. And so, but what are those things to reassure that I know that I know that I know that I know like unwavering, even when I don't feel confident or I don't feel this is truthful today for whatever reason, but that I know that I know that I know that God, that God is good. I can, I know that I know that. (laughs) No matter what the first text message I got today is that lady I shared earlier that her mom had passed away that we've been praying for is God still good and on his throne yeah he is yeah I'm confident in that
0: yeah I I was just with a guy uh, yesterday who uh, is getting ready to go to trial for some legal issues and uh, some injustice to him and uh, I said regardless how you turn turns out I want you to change change your expectations uh and move to anticipation. Uh, your expectations dictate that you know how this should turn out. And if it doesn't, then you can be disappointed in God or you can question uh-huh. his goodness. I just want you to anticipate that he's good, regardless of how this turns out. Yeah. And, you know, what, what my enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. That's an anticipation of God's goodness. Uh, anticipate uh-huh. and lean into that. And he said, I'm going to hold on to that this week uh, as I walk through this this." Uh, navigation of the legal system and uh-huh. i just believe fully that uh we've not taught people to anticipate uh but rather to demand uh god's uh-huh. goodness because we've told people that's what the prosperity gospel destroys is our ability to anticipate his goodness uh-huh. but it's rather to command command his goodness
1: yeah well it just makes me think of psalm uh, 23 even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will feel no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff correct me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like that's that anticipation, like that he's going to provide. He's going to get what I need. Even when things right now, they are bleak and how they look or the prayer that I prayed wasn't answered how I desired it to be. Um, But that anticipation, yeah, I believe you're spot on with that.
0: Yeah. Well, it is a it is a crazy world in which we lead. And I just want to say to you, um, and I know you'll defer this to our Father and to his work in you, uh, and I would expect that, because that's who you are. Um, but God is using you, brother. And it, we, we're going to give all the credit to him. Uh, but in the, in, in the moment, we're going to pause and just long enough to say, thanks for listening to him. Thanks mm-hmm. for pausing long enough to say, God, use me. Uh, for what you want done. And I, we've talked before about the, the the journey of disciple making and how long it takes fruit to really begin to pop up and multiply, Um, to be faithful at something for years. Uh, you know, I think of guys like Hudson Taylor, who didn't see hardly anything. And now you've got what Christians all over China because of him. Uh, yeah. You know, there's so many others. And and I just, I just anticipate the goodness of God in your work, my brother. Um, uh, it's why I love praying for you. It's like why I love talking with you. Um, and uh, it's why we're going to go to Cuba together. I'm excited about that coming up. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun for us. Um, anything else you want to say to people before we uh, jump out of here and you get back to your day?
1: oh something i'd want to say uh well i'll just share my favorite uh, verse in scriptures hebrews 10 23 let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful that's a truth i want you to hang on to Mm -hmm. our job is just to hang on kind of that unswervingly i just think of this like white knuckle you hold on to the steering wheel and life sometimes puts us in tailspins and um sometimes the tailspin will bring you to the side of the road unscathed sometimes the car may flip and turn over but uh do you just keep holding on to Jesus is what I would tell anyone listening today
0: mm. that is a great word from a good friend and a pastor who who is following after Jesus uh well uh my friend give your family a big hug for me tell them I said hi um tell Hannah that I like three of the lightfoots a lot um, okay you know
1: I'll try to figure out which one of them you don't like so
0: it, well it can and it can be influenced with the proper food or something like that um uh, but i think you guys are great and i'm excited uh to come out and see you sometime in the near future and uh spend some time goofing off and having having uh some food and uh, yeah
1: let, let's uh come over and we'll have a smoke party and uh we'll smoke a, a pipe and a, a cigar and uh, we'll go fishing let's do that
0: i love it all i love it all All right, my friend. Hey, thanks for everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us, Patrick. And uh, um, if you guys want to remember to pray, this church is uh, doing some pretty significant things in its town uh, and uh, be praying for pastors everywhere. They need it. Um, Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, we'll see you next time on Say Yes and Become.